This past week, America watched the start of a new season of what hit TV show? <laughs> yes, American Idol began its 11th season. And don't worry, I'm not going to talk about American Idol this morning. I don't watch it. Um, another season of fulfilled dreams for the chosen few and crushed dreams for hundreds more. <laughs> and the whole experience is based on this one thing that we, the public, have in our power to offer or refuse. And it's a very potent thing. And that thing is approval. This morning we're going to talk about approval and our addiction to it. Approval ratings are a common theme right now as we look towards another round of elections. And so we sit back and we watch as the candidates compete for our approval. And this is something we see happening in some form or another almost all the time, from reality TV, talent shows, to, to politics, to professional sports. And uh, here's an example of, of what I mean in that realm. Um, what am I doing right now? <laughs> yes, I'm T-bowing. Some of you are thinking, well, you're, you're praying, right? No, not anymore. Now it's called T-bowing. <laughs> now, I am not a, a bandwagon Tim Tebow fan. Uh, I followed him through his college football career, and in spite of his growing popularity, I knew he still had a lot to prove as a young man and quarterback. Uh, his courage in, uh, pro- in prioritizing and proclaiming the name of Christ in his interviews has always been impressive. Uh, his attitude has been great, and there's no question that this year with the Broncos was incredible. Uh, but then they met the New England Patriots, a team that has tons of experience and never lets up. Uh, I knew the Broncos would lose, so I was anticipating a loss, and I was anxious to see how this young man, who's accomplished so much and has been on such a winning streak, was going to handle this loss. And sure enough, the Broncos lost and, uh, in humiliating fashion. <laughs> And finally, a game ended without a Tim Tebow interview. And now it was time to see what his character was truly like. So I searched the Broncos website and I found the post-game interview press conference video. And it is something that you really should see. Uh, I want to show you just a brief clip of how this guy answered the questions thrown at him. And there were many. Uh, One reporter even quoted scripture to try, try and trip Tim Tebow up. Uh, but the kid handled himself very well, and God was honored in his words. One of the questions that he was faced with was about his critics. He was asked how he was going to handle his critics, those who would be pleased to see him lose and fall out of the spotlight. Uh, He was challenged on his perspective now that he had lost a big game. How would he respond to this devastating loss in the faces of those who wanted to see him lose? Uh, This was his response to a day that would have destroyed the perspective of so many athletes. Uh, You know, I'm not sure. I'm not too worried about that right now. Just a little disappointed that we, um, you know, weren't able to win tonight. We played a great team and they played well and you got to give them a lot of credit. Um, But overall, it you know, it still wasn't a bad day. It still was a good day because, you know, before the game, I got to spend time with Zach McLeod and make him smile. And overall, when you get to do that, it's still a positive day and it's still a good day. Sometimes it's just hard to see, but it depends what lens you're looking through. And so, um, you know, I cho- choose to lo- look through those lenses and, you know, got to make a kid's day. And anytime you do that, it's more important than winning a game. So um, I am proud of that. 
Well, Tim interacts with kids that need encouragement every week uh, to make their day, to make their dreams come true. And that day, the kid was Zach, a 20-year-old who had collapsed at a football practice when he was 16 years old and had been given a 5% chance to live. Uh, Tim brought Zach to that game a couple of weeks ago, and Tim brings encouragement and also the gospel to kids like Zach and kids around the world through his mission trips, through his foundation, through other means. But a while back, I watched an ESPN analyst tear Tim Tebow apart for the choices he's making solely on the grounds that his faith is hurting his image and limiting his fan base. How could he expect a high approval rating if he carries on like this? So the question I want to address with you this morning is whose approval counts to us? What is the source of our personal approval rating? Are we seeking approval in the right places or are we also conforming to the world in this area? Preventing God from doing what he wants to do in us to transform us into the likeness of his son. Uh, Last week we talked about busyness, how we have conformed to the pattern of the world around us, believing that we must be busy in order to feel good about ourselves and in order to fit in, to feel accepted by the world around us. Well, today's message is well connected to last week's and I trust that we'll allow God to speak to us through this and that we'll embrace the spiritual discipline that I want to look at this morning as a way of recovering a correct perspective on approval. Well, the quest for approval has been going on since the beginning of time. Uh, this is, again, one of those legitimate desires in us that we have far too often sought to satisfy with things that cannot satisfy That's a characteristic of the human condition that you can see displayed very early on in the Bible. And let's look at one of those familiar stories that showcases this issue. So turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, right back at the beginning. Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 together. Very familiar story, very early on in our history. It starts with Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 4 Beginning at verse 1, this is what it says. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked on favor looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out into the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Well, one received God's approval and the other did not. And even if Cain was at first unconcerned about gaining God's favor, he reacted very strongly when he didn't get it. The approval of others affects us. The disapproval of others affects us. And so we need to take a look at that reality and seek to find a way to find approval in the right sources and deal with the approval that we seek from the wrong sources. And uh, I am in no way exempt from this addiction to approval. 
Uh, this message is very necessary for me. This is something that messes with a pastor's head on a frequent basis. Uh, we have to get up in front of people every week and assure them that they're not wasting their time sitting in our churches every Sunday morning. We want to know that our church families approve of us, and that's a very dangerous trap and a temptation that I wrestle with on a regular basis. Uh, last weekend, I had the privilege of going to see Francis Chan at Northwestern College in St. Paul. Uh, he was there to speak, and he came with a band called Rend Collective Experiment, an amazing worship band from Ireland. We're actually doing two of their arrangements this morning. Uh, it was one of the best nights that I've had in years. It was inspiring, it was encouraging, it was affirming, but for just a moment there, it was almost devastating. Uh, I got seats for me and my wife the first day they went on sale. Uh, big Francis Chan fan. The tickets were very reasonably priced, and so I jumped in and uh, got tickets as soon as the event was introduced. Kim and I sat in the second row. Um, yes, I'm bragging, but that's not today's message. And we thoroughly enjoyed the evening. Francis spoke directly to a series of messages that I'm working on for the month of March, and it was so confirming. But for just a second there, with tears in my eyes, as Francis delivered a well-crafted verbal message that just went straight to my heart, I thought to myself, I'm a terrible preacher. <laughs> the audience was swept up in the moment. His words had just changed lives. And for a few seconds, I felt like a third-string high school JV quarterback watching Tom Brady play in the Super Bowl. Francis Chan's approval rating was through the roof at that moment, and all I could do was wonder, by, wonder why nobody feels this excited about sitting in the second row at Chapel Hill Church on a Sunday morning. <laughs> it was a, a dark but thankfully very short moment because God said in his usual gentle way that he does with me, shut up and listen, that's me talking, not him. And I was back on track. Far too many of us are addicted to approval. We think that we need the approval of others in our lives in order to be healthy emotionally, in order to feel that we're living the lives that God intended for us. And I want to challenge that mindset this morning because I believe it affects most, if not all of us. We're born this way. Uh, having three young sons just confirms this. I'll often walk in the door when I get home from the church and I'll be bombarded by three little voices all at the same time reporting to me the accomplishments of their day. Uh, they want my approval. Um, I'll take them to a playground and make a big deal about their accomplishments there. Um, good job, Asher. That's the, that's the highest point yet that you've fallen from. <laughs> And other kids that are there will soon catch on to what's happening. Um, and they too will compete for my approval. Some guy they don't even know. But I'm obviously dishing it out, so they want to get some. Now, make sure that you understand this as we go here. Uh, the need for approval is not in itself wrong. The dependency on that approval from the wrong sources is what we're talking about this morning. This is what happens to us. We experience an emotional roller coaster ride when it comes to our quest for approval. We're up when we receive compliments. We feel good about ourselves. We feel, we feel valuable, significant, accomplished. But then we dive when we face a lack of approval or that dreaded experience of criticism. Our emotions tank and we feel inadequate, worthless, insignificant. 
And this is simply not the experience that God had in mind for us when he created us. It's evidence of our fallen state, and so let's challenge that experience. There are many signs of our need for approval. Let's talk about some of the signs that we may be seeking for that approval in the wrong places. There are three issues that really stand out to me. The first one is comparison, comparison. Um, That's what I was doing last weekend at the Francis Chan event. We measure our accomplishments and abilities against those of somebody else. We do this a lot in the workplace, and it happens in strange ways. Uh, someone else gets the promotion, and we'll beat ourselves up, or, or we'll reason that they got the promotion simply because they're older than us, or because the decision makers are idiots. But we'll compare. We do this in the home. Kids compare themselves to each other, and sadly, this often carries on well into adulthood. Uh, we've seen this in our own family. 50-year-old adults acting out because of some favoritism that mom showed when they were kids and how they were on the short end of the deal 40 years ago. Um, Parents compare themselves to their spouses. We do this in schools. Sometimes it drives us crazy. When I was in Bible college, uh, I remember a student coming to me for no other reason than to vent his frustration over the fact that I had received a higher grade in a class than he had. He said, it just bothers me. You look like a stoner. You're not supposed to get good grades. (laughs) That was a great, great conversation right there. (laughs) This comparison will drive us nuts in our quest for approval. We'll never be satisfied. Second issue that I want to point out is deception. Deception. Our quest for approval from the wrong sources leads us to lose sight of truth. One of the easiest sins that we commit is the sin of lying. Uh, We'll lie to keep our approval rate from dropping, won't we? There are some who are very obviously caught up in this. I've known people that lie so much to gain your approval that eventually they get caught in their own lies. I worked with a guy named Drew for a while that was like that. Um, We finally confronted him when the stories that he crafted to gain our approval actually outlived him. Uh, He was not old enough to have done the things that he claimed to have done. And sadly, when we pointed that out to him, he left, he quit his job and never came back because his lies had been called out and he knew his approval rating had just plummeted. But it's not often that overt. Um, Lies to save face happen all the time and I would imagine there are many of us who have done this. We miss an appointment, we miss a deadline, we forget something, and we'll spend quite a bit of energy crafting a story to save face in the most believable way possible because we don't want our approval rating to drop. This happened to me recently. Um, Someone I know forgot about an appointment that we had, and the opportunity was there to present an excuse for that mistake. Um, I could have easily made some up for him. In fact, I already had in my mind but he had the courage and the confidence to own up to his mistake. And his approval rating actually went up, in my opinion. We also get deceived about our own limitations. Because the approval of others is so important to us, we actually have a false perception of who we really are. We're convinced that we're more talented, gifted, and accomplished than reality would dictate. We'd be so disappointed if we faced the truth about our own limitations but we'd only be disappointed because we have our own approval rating of ourselves as well, and we want that to be wonderful instead of realistic. The third issue that stands out to me is resentment. This is so dangerous. Because we 
put so much value in the approval of others, we put our sense of self-worth in their hands. And if they don't deliver, we get upset. We get upset when our bosses don't give us feedback or if, if the compliments don't outweigh the criticism in our reviews. Even if what's being said is true, that's not what we're looking for from that person, so we're disappointed with them. We resent them. We do this in our relationships, too. We set our friends up to be the ones whose job it is to make us feel better about ourselves. And when they fail, we resent them for it. And obviously, the issue invades our marriages as well. We hold on to expectations, often unspoken expectations, that we have for each other in this area of building our own self-esteem. And when that expectation isn't met, we resent our spouse. And that resentment dramatically affects the way that we treat each other in a marriage relationship. Our addiction to the approval of others is a very real problem for us, and it needs to be dealt with directly, decisively. It is not a part of God's design for our lives. And let me clarify again here. Our need for approval is legitimate. And I'll show you God's perspective on that in a minute. And there are also many ways in which approval is to be expressed in our lives. As, As parents, we must let our children know that we approve of them. They're not developed enough to know of any place to go for that approval other than to us. In our relationships, we're called to offer that approval to each other or to build each other up. In practice, we are to express our approval of others in their lives. The problem comes when we find ourselves relying on the approval of those around us for our perspective. And our addiction to approval has to be overcome. Now, the reason I'm taking this problem so seriously so that I believe that this addiction says something about us. It says something about what we believe. It's an indicator that we've put, our, we've put value in places where value is just not justified. Now, when I was a child, I belonged to my parents. They were my temporary parents, and I sought their approval. And as I grew, they pointed me to my eternal father, And my quest for approval shifted from being focused on them to being focused on my eternal father, on God. That is God's design for how things should go. Your earthly parents fulfill that need for approval in your life until you are focused on your heavenly father. And parents, we need to be very much aware of this progression. There's a risk for us that we keep our children seeking our approval for too long in ways that are inappropriate. And that says something about our own insecurities. Our message that God loves them and approves of them has to start very early on. And we have to release them to find their approval in God, not from us. Yes, we continue to encourage and support, but we direct them to their one true source of approval, and that's God. Our lives have to reflect the belief that God is the only source of approval that's going to satisfy us. His opinion's the only one that can carry any value when it comes to how we see ourselves, good or bad. So I love the fact that God did not leave us without some sort of demonstration of this. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to look at the story of Jesus' baptism in verses 13 to 17 of Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3, beginning at verse 13. This is what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. 
But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Man, what a beautiful moment. God the Father speaks from heaven, and he says, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God approved of his Son, Jesus Christ. Now the word tells us that we are brothers and sisters of Jesus. We are joint heirs, it says, equal in God's family to Jesus. Does God approve of us, his other children? Yeah, you better believe he does. God doesn't pick favorites. God is well pleased with us. He approves of us. And to quote one of my sermons from a while back, is God enough then? Is God enough? See, God's opinion should be the only one that matters. From his perspective, no one else's opinion has any value in my life. Only his does. Unless I assign value to other people's opinions. This is our choice. We decide whose opinion has value. And we can do this. We can make that decision. We can choose to count only God's opinion in our approval ratings. And we come out winners every time if we do. John Ortberg tells this story of an experience he had and, and how it relates to this point. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, when I was studying psychology in college, I spent a summer internship at a place called the Spiro Agnew Mental Health Center in Dorchester County, Maryland. One woman there used to tell me regularly that she wanted to marry me because she could not stop thinking about my body. She was heavily medicated had lived in the facility for 20 years and would say the same thing to every other member of the staff. On her less lucid days, she would say the same thing to plants and inanimate objects. <laughs> it was an outrageous compliment that she could not stop thinking about my body, but it did nothing to enhance my sense of value as a person. Now, why didn't her opinion mean anything to him? Because he did not assign it value. We do have it in us to resist assigning value to others' opinions of us. And we need to find the strength to do that, to assign no value or little value to the opinion of others. Opinions are powerless until we validate them. The Apostle Paul had a lot to say on this subject. Uh, before meeting Christ, he seemed to live his life by the opinion of others. He had gotten quite popular for the passion that he showed in carrying out the work of persecuting the followers of Christ. So when he became a follower of and an ambassador for Christ, you can imagine the struggle he had with overcoming the, deci the decisive drop in his approval rating. So listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth about their opinion of him. And keep in mind that they were not his enemies. This was the church this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. It's verses 3 to 5. This is what he says. I care very little 
if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. Now, he was pointing them away from their desire to disapprove of each other or even disapprove of themselves or to find discouragement in that disapproval. He was encouraging them to wait on God's approval. God would be pleased or God would judge, but it was God's opinion that mattered. Let's look at another statement from Paul's writing. This one is pretty strong. He writes this to the Galatian church in Galatians 1.10. He says, Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's quite a contradiction Paul sets up here. Servants of Christ belong to Christ. And it is only Christ's opinion that matters. Pleasing men contradicts our position as servants of Christ, so I think we do need to take this condition quite seriously. Paul obviously paints our efforts to please men in a very negative light. Why does he do this? He does this because he's reminding us that it is not worth it to put this kind of value in the opinions of men. We need to, <clears throat> we need to acknowledge a few things about people. Well, first of all, we need to acknowledge that people are fickle. I read about a person who went to a concert at a beautiful old theater. At the end of the concert, this person noticed two ushers standing near his seat who were applauding harder than anyone else in the whole place. The man said that he was thrilled with this particular concert because of the talent and virtuosity of the musicians. It thrilled him even more to see the two, these two ushers standing there applauding more vigorously than all the concert goers. But his experience was somewhat diminished when he heard one usher say to the other, Keep clapping. If we get them to do another encore, we get overtime. We don't know the motivation behind the praise of others. People are fickle. Secondly, most people really don't care about us anyway. Uh, someone once said, if you worry too much about what people think of you, you'd probably be disappointed to discover how seldom they did. Meanwhile, we are on God's mind all the time every minute of every day, and yet somehow his opinion of us seems to matter the least. Third reality about people is this. Um, take yourselves back to high school in your mind. The most popular people end up being the ones who really don't care what other people think about them. And we can recall the ones who tried too hard, they were rejected, but those who chose not to put their value in others' opinions got respected because of their courage and confidence. The point of what we're talking about today is simply that God's opinion should be the only one that matters. God can already see Christ in us. That's the image he's working on restoring. So he approves of us. So do we need more? So here we are at the end of the message and we still have no spiritual discipline to practice. Well, I haven't forgotten but this doesn't need a lot of explanation. Today's spiritual discipline is the discipline of secrecy. Secrecy. This is what Christ told us to do. Turn to Matthew chapter 6 now. Matthew 6. We're going to read the first six verses.
Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. This is Jesus speaking. It says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus calls us to practice the discipline of secrecy. Yes, there will be times when we serve together. That's biblical. There will be times of praying together, also biblical. But our quest for the approval of others has to stop. Our addiction to approval must be broken. In your life, find a way to practice secrecy. Give God a chance to express his approval to you. Serve without announcing that you've served. Pray in private Restore that dependency on his opinion alone so that he in turn can restore in you the image of his son who depended solely on the approval of his father. This story reminds me of one of my boys and I'll close with it. It's about a boy named Charlie. Charlie was eight years old and was a little bigger and slower than other boys his age. On his way to his first football practice, Charlie's dad told him, Now, Charlie, the coach is likely going to want you to be a lineman. Charlie's dad knew that no eight-year-old boy wants to be a lineman. They all want to be a quarterback, running back, or wide receiver. That's where the glory is. So Charlie's dad continued, Now, Charlie, the linemen are really important because they block for the other players. The linemen don't get to carry the ball or throw passes, but if the linemen do their job, the guys carrying the ball can make touchdowns and the team will score points. Sure enough, 30 minutes into the first practice, the coach started to place his team. He said, Charlie, I want you to be a lineman. You'll be the right guard. Charlie immediately got down in a three-point stance, looked over at his dad, smiled a huge smile, and gave his dad a big thumbs up. He was thrilled. And all that mattered to Charlie was his father's opinion. And that's all that should matter to us. How do we break our addiction to approval? by keeping our eyes firmly fixed on our Heavenly Father, no other opinion can satisfy. And one of the most effective things we can do to restore our vision to what it should be is to practice the discipline of secrecy. Chapel Hill, we are His children. We are God's children in whom He is well pleased. And invite the ushers to come now and the worship team to come back up to the stage. Will you pray with me as they come? I 
And I want you to just quiet your hearts and your minds right now. As we head to prayer, as we come into the presence of God, I want you to just block out all the other noise right now. Just hear God say to you, quietly and clearly, you are my son, you are my daughter, in you I am well pleased. And I know there are a lot of things that you do, there are a lot of things that I do that don't please God. But what we've been talking about here recently is that the reality that at the core of who we are, we are spirit. You are a spirit that was created in the image of God. That spirit reflects his image. You are being restored into the likeness of Jesus Christ. In you, God is well pleased. He just wants desperately to remove the sin from your life, to, to break the habits like our addiction to approval that need to be broken in order for him to get down and just restore the image of his son in you. But again, it is not your mistakes that define you. It is not the behavior that does not please God that defines you. It is his image reflected in you, a spirit whom he created. Accept that truth from him. Accept that as reality. Father, we come before you this morning um, once again to ask forgiveness as things are revealed about who we are and the mistakes that we've made. Father, we ask for your forgiveness for putting value in the opinions of others when your opinion is the only one that should matter. Father, forgive us for seeking the approval of others and for allowing so much value to come with that that it just messes with us that we have down days if we don't get it that we have up days if we do get it Father we know that's not what you intended for us we know that eternally you are our father and you do approve of us So help us to live every day in that reality. God, help us to have the courage to identify those areas in which we do seek the approval of others. And I believe that every single one of us does that. I know I do. And it has to stop. So God, help us to get beyond this terrible distraction, this horrible deception enemy has thrown at us it says that our value depends on what somebody else says about us there's only one voice that matters and it's yours and I pray
praise you for your approval, for your love. I praise you for making us brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the freedom that comes when we recognize that and live in that reality. Thank you for the strength that you give us when we can hear something negative and it just doesn't matter because we know that we're okay with you. And Lord, help us to strive to please you. Understanding that we are your servants. That we're to live our lives for you because you approve of us. Because you're our Father. As we go through this day, help us to identify those areas, those individuals that we have given too much value to in their opinions. Help us to identify them by name, hand them over to you, and allow you to replace their opinions with yours. Father, we praise you for the approval that you have given us as a church, that you call us your church, your bride. You provide for us, you give us your vision, you give us the power to carry it out. We as a church, Lord, we need to seek your approval only too. So as we as a leadership of the church meet and plan and discuss, help us to keep our eyes set solely on you for your vision. We declare that you are our vision this morning. It's an amazing thing that we get to look to you that there's nothing that stands between us and you. What a beautiful truth. Affirm that in our lives. Give us the strength to stand on our two feet in power, knowing that there is only one opinion that matters, and it's yours, Father. We praise you for this time that we've had together and that it's not done, that we get to carry on in worship here, sing a great song that just declares that you are our vision. Help us to live that way. Praise you for your provision. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you by giving back generously out of what you've given us. Continue to work in us, Lord. Continue to transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Let that be the only, the only vision that we have. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.